1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
0: The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed. I'm Sock for another edition of Spotlight Star Wars. This one's titled The Curious Case of Corsella. Here we are, it's 2016. We are in a post Force Awakens world. I've seen it five times. How many times have you seen it? It's not a race, it's not a competition. I'm just enjoying seeing it. Uh, I did have that goal, as a lot of you know, to see it nine times in the theater, to erase the memory of seeing Phantom Menace eight times in the theater back in 1999. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't know if I'm going to get to that. Uh, I don't know. Four more times in a movie theater, seeing the same movie right now is daunting to me. I know Force Awakens is going to have a bit of a long run, so I don't have to rush out to do this now. This isn't it a, uh, a comment on what I feel about the Force Awakens now? I still very much love this movie, but... After I saw it the fifth time, uh, there was a part of me that said, Okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm good for a while. I didn't want to uh, actually uh, lose the love and luster of the film. Uh, it was almost like I was protecting myself uh, uh, from having to burn out uh, too soon on this movie, which is possible. It is possible to burn out on the things you love. Oh, we're getting deep and philosophical here on Spotlight Star Wars. Where are you on your love of the movie? Force Awakens has become a hotly and highly debated movie because we as a society have nothing better to do than to debate whether or not this movie was actually good or not and was Ray this and uh, had the writing that and all that kind of stuff. Look, I'll tell you this. My gut reactions, which I posted on this podcast feed under the Spotlight Star Wars banner, you heard them all. I had some big questions coming out of it. After the first and even second viewing, there's some things I really didn't like about the, uh, the construction of the story and some of the writing. Um, and I still have some of that stuff. But after five times of, of seeing this movie, three more after I really had some questions... I've given up uh, all that kind of stuff, and I just love this movie. I've just crawled up inside the Star Wars nerd bubble this movie is create, uh, has created, and, and I'm just enjoying it. And That's why I, I wish everyone else could get to. Look, if you don't like the movie, if you don't like Star Wars, or you saw it and thought that's what it was, that's it. That's fine. That's you. Um, you know, uh, I've, uh, uh, you know Max Landis going off on his rants on uh, his Rhea, Mary Sue and all that kind of stuff. Uh, even he, because I've actually been in the same room with him talking about Star Wars, The Force Awakens, on air and off air. And I can assure you, who actually, he actually does like the movie. Um, he said to me if, after the Screen Junkies uh, breakdown uh, episode we did uh, last uh, two weeks ago, whatever it was now, uh, after, you know, we had a nice, pleasant discussion, me, him, Dan Merle, and Andy Signor. And after it, even Max kind of turned to me and Dan and goes, you know, after talking about this movie, uh, I, actually, I actually think I like it more. Um, but all his stuff, I agree, was valid. Uh, the, 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 this hashtag of uh, Ray being a Mary Sue and all that kind of stuff, that's different. That's Twitter. That's the internet. That's the explosion of, of common sense and just taking, um, taking things out of context and blowing it up. That's what the internet does. But at the base of what Max Landis was bringing up about Star Wars and the writing of some of the characters are actually very justified. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people questioning that stuff. But I also agree with some of the stuff that I've seen put out there by Chris Taylor and and, uh, Pablo Hidalgo and even Paul S. Kemp, the author of The Lords of the Sith, brought up a good point about uh, Star Wars paints in broad strokes. That's what it is. It's a myth. It's a modern myth. It's an epic. Um, You know, we can look at what Peter Jackson did with the Lord of the Rings trilogy in in the early 2000s, and that was a little bit different. Um, I I sometimes wish Star Wars could reach those levels of realism uh, mixed with myth. Uh, But we're not going to get that. And and that's not just because of it's Disney or Disney-fied. We never were going to get that. Look look at Return of the Jedi. The Ewoks, for God's sakes, are are beating people with sticks. That's as deep as we're going to get in Star Wars. It is myth. It is broad strokes. I agree with Paul S. Kemp. So uh, where I'm at, and I hope where you can get at, is if you love this movie, don't worry about what other people are thinking and saying and tweeting. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Don't get caught into it. Uh, Read your articles and all all that kind of stuff and read your theories and have fun. But if you you love Star Wars, you probably love this movie. And there's a lot of different reasons. And number one, it's just just fun. It's just fun. And, And New Hope in 1977, which was a different time, my friends, was fun. We are coming out of a dark period in real life, politically, war, Vietnam, all that kind of stuff. Lucas touched on those tones, of course, but he wrapped it up in fun. He wrapped it up in myth, wrapped it up in simple, straightforward storytelling, which is the hero's journey. You need those things. Um, So I no longer, um, you know, get caught up in was uh, Force Awakens a rehash? Yeah, you know what? Absolutely. Parts of the Force Awakens were a rehash. Of A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, even a little bit of the prequel stuff was in there. And that's because it's all kind of the simple, straightforward hero's journey. And if you want to go see some deeper movies, uh, go for it. Go for it. Have fun, and I and I, and I don't take that away from anyone. I have crawled up inside the Star Wars nerd bubble, though, and just absolutely love the movie, and I myself am no longer asking the questions. I was asking after my first and second viewing. Well, how come Han said that line? There's a couple beats, and there's some edits that they needed in some of these scenes, and why did they have a trench run? All those things I asked, and they're fair. And they're fair to ask, and I still kind of believe them, but I don't, I'm not putting those things in front of my joy of this movie because what I do love... Uh, and and for the record, I'm not even worried what George Lucas thinks about this, all right? I'm not, nor should you be. And I'm actually one of the people that's been um, trying to soften the public stance on Lucas for a couple of years now. Uh, because I still think this is his world that we are all living in. And um, he's the creator. We should all pay him respect, uh, you know, no matter what he thinks about The Force Awakens. But what The Force Awakens has done is, uh, to me, brought new layers to peel back on the Star Wars story. Uh, and that is uh, what is so much fun. Um, the prequels did it, too. Uh, lest we forget, the prequels were the first time we heard the name Darth Plagueis the Wise, the name that has us in a tizzy now. Um, so say all, all you will about the prequels, but a lot of you know my, my stance on those. Bad movies, good stories, and a lot to the Star Wars uh, uh, saga was, was, uh, can be pulled from those movies. And uh, which is uh, why I love the Clone Wars and uh, all those series, and even Rebels now, which is doing a good job but with, with new canon. A lot of the new canon books have uh, done uh, a good job of uh, obviously adding to the stories, whether we like all the books and comics or not. But The Force Awakens really, I thought, delivered on giving us new layers of characters, side stories, and backstories, and, and, and fun. And that's what we love as fans growing up in the 80s. Uh, or whenever you discovered Star Wars. But I will say, growing up during the time of it, uh, and being a kid in 83, and having all these uh, all these toys hanging on the shelves, all those sad lobots, as Joseph Scrimshaw would say, we as fans, man, we dug in there and created a lot of these stories, all right? Uh, you know, th- th- some of the names on the figures were Hammerhead, um, uh, you know... Um, uh, Walrus Man. Now it's Panda Baba, but back then it was uh, you got Walrus Walrus Man, right? We were the ones as fans that kind of dug in and created the own stories and expand, forced the expansion of the universe. I think, um, and Force Awakens kind of plays to that, and it does it a little bit for us. There's a lot there. And if you're just a casual Star Wars fan, you're going to go watch The Force Awakens and you're going to know the main characters now and you're going to see the old characters you love and you're going to see some things you remember and it's familiar and it's fun. And that's what the movie needed to do on one level. But for the deep Star Wars fans, the one who have been tracking new canon going back a couple years now, there was little morsels of of treats that we got to peel back and learn afterwards. I didn't know until the third viewing that Snap Wexley was in there. I, I kept calling him the new Porkins. Then it's like, oh, he's Snap Wexley. He's from Aftermath, the planet that the Resistance base is on, Dakar. That was mentioned in Lost Stars. Oh, didn't quite put that together, even though I just finished reading the book because so many new planets and characters' names kind of float into your mind now with all these books and comics. It kind of can kind of get washed over into one giant sea of canon. Uh, but to learn all that kind of stuff, uh, it started to bring out excitement. And and then I got the Visual Dictionary or the Visual Encyclopedia. One of the smart words, Dictionary Encyclopedia. I don't know. I bought that, and um, right away, you you look through it, and you start learning some things. But you start picking up on things that were cut from the movie. And since then, at the time of this broadcast, the the deleted scenes have come out there. There's been articles about them. Um, But I was already picking up on those uh, just by reading the Visual Encyclopedia and talking about it and kind of watching the movie again. General Hux, in his what I call the Third Reich speech, which actually wasn't one of my favorite parts of the movie early on, my first couple viewings, I thought it was too over the top and just simplistic, but I also wasn't paying attention to the words, apparently, because the third time I went, oh, Hux is answering a lot of questions in some of the stuff he says to Snoke and some of the stuff he says in that speech. He's explaining a lot about the history of the galaxy over the last 30 years in those lines. And now you have layers to peel back. And then you get the visual encyclopedia, and you get to the page called the Senate. And that's where stuff really starts to, to, uh, uh, the layers unfold, man. You got the character Corsella, which is why I'm titling this this episode The Curious Case of Corsella. I'm not going to dive into this character. It's not an episode about Corsella. We might do that one day once we learn more about this character. Uh, She's a female, a commander in the Resistance, clearly trusted by Leia. And Leia, at one point in the story, sends her to Hosnian Prime, the new seat of the Republic, to speak with the uh, Chancellor there, Chancellor Vilcham, and a lot of the other uh, senators and and rulers, and, and they're all listed here. There's one from Naboo, and there's one from a bunch of other uh, planets, uh, other planets we've never seen or heard about, or barely heard about. Even the chancellor, uh, who was seen briefly in the movie, the alien uh, character with a big gray beard, he—he uh, he comes from a planet I'm not too familiar. It's a mid—mid uh, rim uh, Tarson system. Uh, I'm reading this right now is where his planet is. Um, so just in this two-page spread alone, page sixty-six and sixty-seven in the Visual Encyclopedia, we start to learn a lot. We start to learn about the Galactic Concordance, which was signed between the Empire and the New Republic, following uh, the battles of Endor and Jakku and the fall of the Empire and all that kind of stuff. And you get the idea that the Empire was kind of sent away to a corner of the galaxy. And out of that rose the First Order. And that's said in the opening crawl, of course. But in the opening crawl, it just it hints at from the ashes of the Empire comes the First Order. you you just takes a little bit of reading to learn and start to peel back what all that meant. And how the First Order was off doing things by themselves, not uh, under the watchful eye of the Senate anymore, of the Republic. And it was people like Princess Leia who started to feel a little weird about what the First Order was doing in secret in uncharted parts of the galaxy that they couldn't get to. And the Senate which it starts to play out in aftermath Chuck Wendig's book which is why I think Wendig uh will get justified uh and uh um a little bit uh overdue Do kudos for writing a, a series we'll see what the trilogy is a series that sets up a lot of what the galaxy was like after the fall of the empire and leading to Force Awakens. I think a lot is really in that. Mon Mothma herself talks about, you know, not wanting to start an army, not wanting to rule by fear or military force, but by choice, through democracy, true democracy. And all that kind of led to the First Order growing on its own, and, and clearly now turning a planet into a weapon, whether you whether you feel that's a rehash of the Death Star, and it is. Um, Abrams has come out and said, no, the First Order, we made that a clear-cut decision, the First Order was kind of try to improve they thought they were better than the empire an extension uh, and growth of the empire for sure but better than the empire. So they wanted to build the bigger, the bigger uh, planet, the bigger weapon, to prove that they were that much better than the Empire. Okay, that's J.J.'s explanation of it. It's not my favorite one. I still could have done without Star Killer Base, or at least Star Killer Base in a Death Star-like form. But I get it now, and I really, the first time, I got to be honest, I might have even been softer in my stance in my gut reaction episode. I was not happy with not only did you have Starkiller Base reminiscent of the Death Star, it, it blew up five planets. And the reason I kind of just didn't pick up on a lot of that stuff is I was I, I was kind of in my head just like, I, I get it. You blew up one, now you can blow up five planets, and you, it's, a, it's a bigger, badder Death Star. And I wasn't happy with that decision. But then, again, on the third viewing, I started picking up a lot of the stuff that Hux was saying, and it made sense. And, you know, through the help of uh, Joseph Scrimshaw and I kind of talking about it on our other episodes here in Force Center, uh, you know, that that's a key scene. The Starkiller base has taken out the Hosnian system, taken out the ruling parties of the galaxy. Now that starts to become deeper to me, and this simple rehash plot point that people are getting hung up on now has deeper meaning for me upon further viewing and upon learning a little bit more about it, which brings us back to Corsella. This character is in the movie. Corsella is on the balcony when the Star Killer uh, Sunray, for lack of a better term, comes tearing towards Hosnian Prime. She is on the balcony with all these ruling parties, including Chancellor Vilchem, who's right next to her with his beard flowing in the wind, and she dies. Leia sent her there on a diplomatic mission to plead the case. Corsella dies for the Resistance trying to state their claim because uh, it has become clear, and it will be, probably become more clear in, in, in new canon material that comes out, that Princess Leia, now General Leia, was starting to be regarded as kind of a uh, an alarmist, a military warmongering alarmist who was saying there's something going on with the First Order that we don't know about, and they're a problem, they're a threat, and the Republic should do something about it, and Republic didn't and they discounted Leia, and they discounted the Resistance. If you read the book uh, Before the Awakening, which I have, Greg Rucka, the great comic book writer, wrote the uh, book Before the Awakening, and it's uh, it's not marketed by, as a young adult, uh, I don't think, but it, it kind of has that feel to it. I kind of get the sense uh, you could put it in that. Um, but Rucka himself not a young adult author at all, so I don't even know why I'm picking up on that vibe of the book. But it tells... Three stories of Finn, FN-2187, as it were, Ray and Poe. And I don't want to go into any of it and spoil it all. It's a good, quick read. Uh, collectively, the whole book's like 180 pages or less. Uh, I do recommend you pick it up, and I do recommend you read it. It might shed some light on some things. It definitely does when it comes to the story of Poe Dameron. It tells how he left the Republic, which did have a modest military and navy, He left the Republic to join the Resistance. It tells the story. And in that, you kind of get a little bit more. More layers are are peeled back about how the Republic had just simply, um, the new Republic had started to become as corrupt and kind of uh, comfortable in its power as the old Republic. Maybe not as evil, certainly not an empire. But it had uh, it discounted the First Order, discounted Princess Leia, which is one of the reasons she had to get Admiral Akbar out of retirement. He was retired, living on his planet, swimming around peacefully. And she said, you got to come back. Also, some of the other characters are in um, the Before the Awakening Poe Dameron story that kind of add to The Force Awakens, adds to the level. And that is what I love about The Force Awakens. First viewing, second viewing. I'm looking at Corsella on the balcony in Hosnian Prime. And I'm not picking up on it. I'm not picking up at how important that moment was. It's a deleted scene. And I understand J.J.'s not too big on deleted scenes. So we don't know if we'll see some of this stuff. He kind of feels as though, uh, nope, once the director puts the movie out, that's, that's what the movie is. That's the story. That's the film. However, J.J. might find himself in a different realm when it comes to Star Wars. Because this is, um, now that we know about it, now that it's in this visual encyclopedia, the character of Corsella, the character of Chancellor Vilcim, uh, these are important characters. They now have weight and merit, and we as fans are hungry for what we call canon. What we all know as the actual truth of this universe that we like to crawl around in. So the character of Corsella is important. We're going to want to hear her story, and I, for one, would love to see some of the deleted scenes that have come out. And none more than this one. I think the reason this one got cut is it just didn't move the story along in a fast enough pace. But more importantly, it probably was political in nature. And I would not feel... um, I would agree, I guess I should say, if Kazdin and Abrams and everyone said, eh, with what the prequels brought up, uh, with too much political ramblings, maybe we want to go the other direction and have next to none. Um, I could have done with a little bit, because it would probably help the story a little bit if we had a little bit more understanding of what Leia and the Resistance did. I think that was, again, to make it for the general public. You remember the Empire? You remember the Rebels? Well, here they are again, all right? It's a new generation. Um, that's the general audience. Those are the people seeing it again and again and having just simple fun with this new movie. But we as Star Wars fans who are a little bit uh, higher up and crave that deeper knowledge, I think we would have liked to see how did we get from the Battle of Endor, yub and around, celebrating with the Ewoks, to here's 30 years later and uh, the New Republic is kind of they're in control or not in control. The First Order's there. The Resistance? Wait, that's just the Rebels again? How did Leia get from Rebel to in control to Rebel again? Well, the story's now becoming more clear, and I think I'm excited to hear more about things like the Galactic Concordance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, it it the movie could have been, the story could have used just a little bit more of that. We get a little bit of a Leia. I mean, it, 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 to me, it, makes, it would make more sense because I... Leo talked about needing to know more information and we're desperate for information that came up a few times and even the first again first and second viewing I just didn't kind of I didn't grasp that this first order is so big they've built a planet and I know some people view that as a as a hipster ironic plot hole uh, you one, know, no one knew they were building the whole planet and turn it into a gun Um yeah, they didn't. But um, it's it's explained uh, in some of these books uh, and, and by Abrams and everyone that the First Order was doing it by himself. They, you couldn't see it. It was like you needed a U.N. team to go in and impose sanctions, and that wasn't happening. And the Resistance um, started to uh, realize something was going on. Leia realized something was going on. And there's part Leia's motivations is kind of a desperate search around the galaxy for more clues as to what the First Order is doing which is why the resistance is kind of ragtag and underfunded and under-equipped. And all that stuff starts to make s-
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: so if you haven't picked up on that stuff yet I hope for your love of the movie that you get to and that's why when someone says to me Star Wars wasn't that good it was a rehash I just look at them and, and want to say are you aware of Corsella and what that character's importance to the story is and why it's a sad tragic moment when she realizes she's about to die on the balcony on Hosnian Prime. If you're not a Star Wars fan, that scene is not gonna have weight to you. If you're not a Star Wars fan, realizing, and for me it was after a couple of viewings, that Snap Wexley, Temin Wexley, daughter of Nora Wexley, who fought in the Battle of Endor, flew a Y Wing, my beloved Y Wings, when you see him and realize that he is in The Force Awakens, now a veteran fighter, flying a reconnaissance on a important uh, reconnaissance mission to determine the location of Starkiller Base, which also unfortunately led the uh, First Order back to the resistance, if you don't see that character and realize how important it is to see that character, then I get it. You're just not a giant Star Wars fan and you enjoy the movie on a different level. If you can't see, If you see the female X-Wing pilot and go, oh, hey, it's a female X-Wing pilot, Good for you. You might also recognize her from Game of Thrones as one of the Sand Snakes. Or you can look at the character like I do now. Oh, that's Jess Tester Pava. A character of importance. A character of history. A character that we now... if uh, I want an action figure of her. I want an action figure of some of these side characters. Which is exactly what we felt like in the 80s. If you weren't there... If you weren't there, I'm flipping through the book, by the way. I'm doing that now. You can hear it in the background. I'm looking at some of the stuff with Maz Kanata and all that kind of stuff. I sidetracked myself. But back in the 80s, and I'm not taking away from anyone who discovered Star Wars in the 90s or in the 2000s, but when you were there at the time and the information was sparse, sometimes all you had to go on was the figure you had in your hands and what it said on the card. And that was exciting. So now when I watch Force Awakens and I see a character like Jess Tester flying around, to me, it's not just a, oh, it's a female X-wing pilot. It's a character with weight and a backstory, and that's fun. And that is the Star Wars universe, and that is where, to me, The Force Awakens has succeeded on a level that people uh, don't quite understand. If you're outside the Star Wars bubble, and God bless you if you are, I don't want everyone in the bubble. The bubble's big enough, which is why I love this. Is why I love Kylo Ren, because uh, if you dig in deeper to Kylo Ren and you get the story and it starts to unfold. Uh, the problems I have with Han Solo's uh, death scene, which I do have problems with, as just a film goer. But as a Star Wars fan, it now has greater weight to me. Because the story and the levels and the conflict inside Kylo Ren are some of the best villain work in any, any of the Star Wars things. It is, it is a deep villain now. And I hope he continues to be a villain. Some of you may have seen me on movie fights, uh, doing the Star Wars uh, episode. Um, and I pitched my Star Wars Episode Eight. I'm calling it the Reign of the First Order, and in it, I want Benicio del Toro. I believe already cast in it uh, in the movie. I want him to be a villain. I want him to be Snoke's true right hand man. Ren is just his appre- apprentice and trainee, and the guy he's grooming. But Benicio del Toro is kind of the bad guy. And I want I want that character to emerge, disrupt the training between Luke and Ray. It's too much for Luke. To handle, He and Rey are going to go find the one person he feels can help them. Meanwhile, Ren needs to prove himself to Snoke. Ren, I don't think, should be good, at least not an eight. He should not go to the light side, if he, if at all, until the end of episode nine. I want Ren to become the big baddie that we want him to be. And seeing the growth of that character in a more fulfilling way than even we saw with Darth Vader, Anakin turning into Darth, was not as fulfilling as we probably uh, would have wanted uh, in the prequels, of course. But I want to see that now with Ren. So I want episode eight to be Luke versus Del Toro's character versus Kylo Ren and literally have a three way lightsaber dance like it's an episode of SmackDown in 1999. I want these three to fight. I can see Luke dying and his dying breath sends Ray off to search for her mother. And Ren kills Del Toro and Skywalker, returns to Snoke have the rightful right-hand man to Snoke. You can go to the Movie Fights episode on Screen Junkies' YouTube page and see my pitch in full. Um, But uh, that's kind of where I want A A to go. That's where I want Ren to go. And all that excitement and all that prognosticating comes out of diving into the layers of The Force Awakens, which is, again, why I think this movie has succeeded so much. I guess we should talk about what everyone's talking about, is who are Rey's parents? You know, actually, I don't have a lot of theories. I think it's Luke. I think that's her father. I haven't read the novelization yet. It is being shipped to me right now. Some of you have read it or listened to the audiobooks, and I think there's some clues. Uh, Luke has some recognition of who this character is. His facial uh, descriptions are described as kind of knowing who it is. Um, That's all good. That's all good. I just, I think... I don't want to overthink this one. Uh, I like some of the theory, theories about her being related to Kenobi. I actually do. I, if it comes out that she's the great-granddaughter of Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm fine with that. If she's the love child or the great-granddaughter of, uh, of the love child of uh, <laughs> Shmi and Qui-Gon Jinn, I'm good with that, too. Uh, I'd be good with just about anything. Um, but I do feel, though, as she's a Skywalker, and I do feel that that is what this story is about. The prequels were about Anakin Skywalker turning into Darth Vader. The original trilogy was about a farm boy discovering who his father was and bringing what we thought at the time was balance to the Force. The story of Luke Skywalker. So I feel that this trilogy, 7, 8, 9, has to be the story of a Skywalker. It kind of wouldn't make sense that it's just the story of a Solo and the story of a Kenobi those would be cool layers but this is a skywalker story that's what star wars is so i don't see it at this point as any other way there's convincing cases for her not being luke skywalker's daughter or or related to her or, or related excuse me related to him or lay at all i i don't know i can i can agree with all that stuff too but uh um i don't i haven't i haven't really thought much beyond that i just think she's a skywalker I just kind of think it has to be that way. But what are your theories? I'm sure you have them. You can follow me at ForceCenterPod and at Cat and Epsoc and hashtag SpotlightStarWars and tell me all your wonderful, wonderful, wonderful theories of uh, who is Rey. The story we want to know. Going to the hashtag right now, SpotlightStarWars. That's uh, the hashtag you use if you want to talk to me and have a conversation. Um and uh, well, there's not a lot out there, you guys have been celebrating the holidays and seeing the movies, so uh, not much direct questions. I will say Mike uh, Curry had an interesting Spotlight Star Wars uh, admission. He admitted something. He goes, here's my Star Wars The Force Awakens confession. I felt more emotions watching the Falcon get bounced around than Han's death. Big statement, Mike, but you know what, Mike? I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I think the death of Han Solo look I don't want to say it was mishandled that's pompous for me an outsider to say that about a team of successful and accomplished professionals to say they mishandled the death of Han Solo but I think it's some level of truth is is buried in there Uh, we all saw Han's death coming uh, some of us going into the movie and some of us once he got to that scene in the movie it was telegraphed and that's okay. Sometimes it doesn't need to be a Game of Thrones surprise head chopping off. None of that. Uh, I think that was fine. I just had a little problem with the dialogue in the moment. And I think it tugged on heartstrings that it hadn't yet earned from us. Um, and I think the the backstory of, of Ran and, and Han and Leia was wedged in a little too fast. There could have been other things that they did with it. That I do agree with some of the criticism. But I still thought... It was a good moment in the movie, and you watch it again and again, and it shot beautifully. There's the light side, the dark side. It all goes dark. Uh, I thought Adam Driver did great with the scene, and Harrison Ford did great the whole movie. So I'm fine with it as a fan. But I didn't react to it. I kept saying on many shows, from Schmoes to this show to Screen Junkies, everything else, that I was going to cry in Force Awakens, especially if Han died. If Han died, I was going to cry. I didn't. I didn't cry. Not in the five viewings. But I cheered when I first saw the Falcon, much like uh, Mike said he got emotion. And I know other people, some who saw it with me, cried um, at the first scene of the Falcon. You're not alone, Mike. I cried. Uh, I got teary-eyed at some of the solo stuff and some of the other things. Uh, seeing Han for the first time and Chewie, even though we had seen the uh, Chewie were home in the trailer, uh, or th- at least a different take of it, but uh, we we saw that moment. Um, but yeah, the actual death of Han didn't affect me as much. As uh, maybe I thought it would going in, which is okay. It's okay. So, Mike, you're not alone. Stephen Patrick Helms says, I've always enjoyed the way Ken Napsock says, hey, that's me, says Star Wars. On Spotlight Star Wars, uh, Stephen, you may have heard me explain it on an early edition of Spotlight Star Wars. But uh, generally, when I say uh, "Welcome to Spotlight Star Wars," we look at Star Wars, the greatest saga ever told. When I when we hear me do the drawn-out Star Wars, that is actually an ode to some of the first trailers. If you uh, go watch the first trailer, of, uh, it's a simple one. It's, uh, trailers are so different now. Uh, side note, the, the modernized version of the Empire Strikes Back trailer that's making the rounds around the Internet is, is amazing. It's actually really good. It's fun. Trailers have changed, and if you go back to uh, the first trailer for Star Wars... All the times have changed, and it's uh, in space. This could be happening now. Um, At one point, the announcer towards the end says something very similar to Star Wars. And I've always said Star Wars that way, uh, whether it be on Schmoes or here, uh, very intentionally. So, Stephen, I appreciate you uh, noticing that and recognizing that. Awesome, says he's uh, uh, underscore David Cabal. Awesome. Uh, he says, uh, This is a stretch. What if episode eight, Ryan Johnson does time travel and brings back a young Han solo? Awesome. Uh, that is not awesome. Uh, it's obviously a reference to Johnson doing Looper. It's an interesting theory. Um, but with a young Han Solo moving, movie coming out, um, I would—we're uh, we, already getting our young Han. Though maybe your third theory, David, is that um, it's a good marketing tool. Hey, here's the—you want to see more of this young character? We'll go see the movie next year. I don't think they'll do that, though. I really don't think they'll do that. I think it's going to be a dark movie, um, and I don't think time travel really works inside the Star Wars universe. Um, it didn't really work inside the Star Trek rebooted universe, but time travel had appeared in Star Trek before in the movies and whatnot, but I'm not a Star Trek expert, so i let someone else. i let Scott Mance tell me if old Spock and young Spock really worked. I enjoyed it in the first movie, not so much later on. In Into Darkness, it was a kind of a plot convenience when they reappeared. But um, as far as Star Wars, I don't think time travel actually... Uh, really belongs. Um, So awesome. Good theory. And you said it's a stretch. Um, Not one I'd be happy with if that happened to come true. So that's all in the questions right now. Uh, If you're kind of new to the show, we've got a lot of people um, who have listened and joined. We appreciate your support. You've made us number one on Podomatic for a few uh, days, if not weeks, running. And on iTunes, we've got as high as number 20 in TV and film, which considering the amount of podcasts out there in the world and the amount of Star Wars podcasts out there in the world, me, Joseph Scrimshaw, and Jennifer Landa appreciate your support. Joseph and I's breakdown of The Force Awakens can be found here on this channel, and it did quite well. And uh, please, if you haven't already, listen to Jennifer Landis' second episode of The Jedi Beat, her excellent NPR-style Star Wars show. But again, if you're new to the Force Center podcast feed, what we are is a podcast feed with several different shows talking about Star Wars. Uh, this Show right now, Spotlight Star Wars is just me. It's a monologue from me to you about Star Wars. It actually began on my other podcast feed, The Knapsock Files. So something for me to do after I would left Jedi Lions. Actually, right before Jedi Lions, I kind of knew I was going to have to leave, and I wanted to keep my uh, my Star Wars brand going. And uh, Spotlight Star Wars kind of morphed into the Force Center podcast feed. So uh, you can subscribe, and you get this show, you get Force Center, our main show. You get Jennifer Landis Jedi Beat. Got a new show. for from Joseph Scrimshaw uh, coming this year, too. And then I'm going to be doing uh, interviews with Star Wars fans, just open-ended interviews about what it is and uh, what you love about being a Star Wars fan with some of my friends um, around town and who knows, maybe others. Um, So that is what's going on. If you're new, thanks for joining. Subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have a question or you want to join the conversation for this show, just follow at ForceCenterPod and hashtag SpotlightStarWars, and we will have that conversation. So that is it. I'm going to go read the Star Wars Visual Encyclopedia for the Force Awakens one more time to see what else I can learn. You guys have a great beginning to 2016.